Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The global economy is slowing due to persistent inflation, higher interest rates and financial sector strains. Outside of the pandemic and the global financial crisis, the next two years are expected to be the weakest for global growth in over two decades. And this will affect us here in Australia. And in this environment, inflation remains our primary economic challenge. It drives rate rises and it erodes real wages, which is why this budget is carefully calibrated to alleviate inflationary pressures, not add to them. We seek to strike a considered methodical balance between spending restraint to keep the pressure off inflation while doing what we can to help people struggling to make ends meet. Well, there you have it. That's what the big boy treasurer, Dr. Jim Chalmers said in parts of his speech last night. And it really does set the framework for the budget that he delivered. Now, in today's bonus budget spectacular, John and I will be talking about our thoughts. We'll talk about what wasn't covered. So that's really important. We'll talk about social security, energy, jobs, wages and super, health, childcare, property, the environment, some small business stuff, and some tax things that most people won't whinge about, plus some other stuff. And of course, we'll answer some of your questions. And finally, we will look through the lens of what it means to you, our listener. I'm Glenn James. You're listening to the My Millennial Money 2023 Federal Budget Spectacular. Let's get into it. John Pigeon, My Millennial Property Podcast host extraordinaire. Welcome to the federal budget spectacular. What an intro. It's exciting to be here, Glenn. It is. It's a 30 June budget day for the money nerds. Everyone just froths, don't they? Oh, unbelievable. Like how late did they stay up last night to just uh, figure out what happened? Well, I tried to, like I watched all the analysis on ABC. Then I was doing reading, heap of reading last night because I just wanted to like really get on top of it for the episode today. And then this morning over breakfast, I spent about an hour and a half finalizing all our talking points and discussion points. But I will just say, John, before we get into it, if you are new to our podcast, welcome. But the episode today, we are doing it through the lens of our audience. Now, every year we do an annual census and we get an idea of who the main listeners are of our podcast. Now, the median income for our podcast listener is $100,000. 64% uh, female audience. So that's kind of what we're going through. Heap of full-time employees, a lot of young professionals, the median age is 30. So I just want you to be warned that we are doing this through the lens of our audience. Another disclaimer, 
before we get into it, I've spent a lot of time, as I've said, kind of preparing the points for our audience that are important to you. Well, I think are important to you, our audience. But, you know, a disclaimer, while all care is taken with all this information, there is no responsibility. (laughs) Um, But I would say if you do want the actual gospel, number one, you can go to the Treasury website or you can have a look at the ABC, the Fin Review, the Guardian, a whole heap of publications. And finally, everything that was announced, it's still got to get through both houses of parliament and then receive royal assent from the governor general on behalf of his majesty, the king. So we are in, John, if you didn't realize last weekend, uh, we are in a constitutional monarchy and um, everything that was announced at the budget uh, isn't in law until it's passed and receives royal assent. Mm. You would have watched the coronation, wouldn't you? I had it on in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have your, have your crown on? No. No, I threw that out ages ago. <laughs> I had a fancy dress crown, everyone. It was pretty funny. Um, John, mm. what do you think? Uh, look, I don't think it was a, a great budget for the young people of Australia. It was more to do with maybe the, the older or established. Um, so nothing really stuck out to me as, oh, that was a massive win. Unless I'm in the defence force and I can stay there for an extra 50 grand in bonus. So that's, that was my key takeaway. If you're in the defence force, stay there. In your little private Facebook group, uh, the Solvair Connect, whatever it is, what is it? Yeah, Solvair Connect, yes. Yeah. So within your business, you had a whinge this morning about some of the budget <laughs> line items. What were they? I did, yeah. And, and a quick synopsis over a coffee. Look, I'm an avid AFL fan, as you know. $65 million dedicated to a stadium upgrade down in Hobart, and shout out to all the Taswegians. Equivalent to 67, or close to equivalent, $67.5 million dedicated to states and territories to help combat homelessness. Just doesn't add up to me. In conjunction with that similar amount to spend on a marketing campaign to discourage vaping and smoking, like, there's something out of balance there. Mm. But that's it. Like a treasurer when he or she delivers uh, a budget has to almost do some BAU, business as usual, right? So, you know, stadia and all that stuff is a big part of the Australian life Mm. and I'm not commenting on whether I agree or not. I don't heaps have a, a dog in the fight. But like there are always things that people will disagree with and people that will agree with. Uh, But from what you're saying, there was nothing that really stood out to you. And from a property vibe, because you're the property guy, we will talk about the property stuff um, later on in the episode. But any other final motherhood comments? Not really. I think um, single parents got a bit of a a leg up and some assistance, which which is good. Um, If you're in the top 0.5% of uh, Australia's wealth, you took a haircut with your your superannuation. Um, Yeah, look, there's nothing really that sticks out to me. And I think there was some promises made maybe up to 12 months ago in respect to housing and the amount of houses that are coming through or, or proclaimed to be built um, and, and they've increased that amount, but it's I, I don't think it's a massive game changer. It sounds a lot, but um, the devil's always in the detail, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, don't give away all your content. We'll save it for the property section. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that that's my skimming look at it. What did you find? What was your general consensus? Well, it was the first time Labor delivered a surplus 
uh, since Keating in 88, 89. So that was a an interesting thing. But what I want everyone to know is either government can't really take credit for the surplus. Now, this year, there was a surplus of $4.2 billion. So that's basically they have received revenue like your household budget and they have money left over after they've allocated it. Now, it is supposed to come back to a negative deficit of around $13 billion next year. But any government would have delivered that surplus because of the higher cost of resources, the war in Ukraine, inflation, and importantly, people working more and earning more. So that means more income tax for the government. So this was staggering, John. There was 40% more than they thought in October last year, just mm-hmm. when they delivered their first little mini budget. So that was pretty wild. So you've just got to take the politics out of a lot of this crap. So did the bean counters get it wrong back then or what? No, I just think uh, because inflation has taken off more and uh, external global events, I, I just think it was because of the, the pinch that we're in and the almost yeah. full employment, but it is expected to, to come back. I thought it was interesting that as much as the government harp on about the NDIS, there wasn't that much said at all in the budget to do with the NDIS, but they have made comments that they want to save $59 billion on the NDIS over the next 10 years. So it was light in detail. They want to focus on a bit of fraud in the NDIS, but also have a look at changing um, payments from time spent to focused on an outcome. So an example could be, John, you took your child, for example, to get some rehabilitation or some treatment or whatever it was, under the NDIS. At the moment, they're like, yeah, come back next Thursday, there's two hours and they bill you and rolls on. So they they want to look at changing it to more of a, here's what we'll pay to rehabilitate or here's what we'll pay for this condition. So they are tightening that up, but yeah, nothing huge on the NDIS. I thought that was interesting. They basically, you know, it was the probably one of the biggest leaked budgets in a long time, uh, apart from a couple of things, but You know, as we heard at the top of the episode, Uncle Jim said that, you know, responsible targeted relief was the number one priority and there was a $14.6 billion package to do that. Now, it's interesting that the spending over the next four years has increased by $44 billion and this budget has raised an extra $22 billion in new tax. So that's basically one new dollar spent for every dollar saved. So governments are great at spending money. And there are not many surpluses in budgets. Simple as that. So they're basically spending money still and the surplus here was just a blip. So they were my overarching thoughts. Now, John, I want to just quickly cover what wasn't discussed. So most of our listeners will not be impacted or receive any real additional benefits, particularly if you don't have kids or are not on social security benefits. So the time of stimulus is over. You know, we had COVID, they were throwing money. We've had the GFC years, they were throwing money. We had low interest rates, had to stimulate the economy. Let's pump money into the economy. Let's get this thing pumping. So now it's swung too far and we need to slow everything down because inflation is getting away. So it really is a balancing act. So a lot of you listening, probably the only benefit you will get is some of the other benefits that impact your neighbors, your family, and your friends, society as a whole. 
And I really just think it's good that, you know, some of the measures were really uh, taking care of the people who needed money the most. And sure, everyone wants more money. Everyone wants to pay less tax. But for weeks and weeks on end, Treasurer Jim was coming out and saying, we are not throwing around cash. We are just not doing it in this budget. We'll help those that we need to help. It was interesting. There was no comments on the HEX indexation pause. I, you know, there was a bit of chatter and we've done our big HEX episode on Monday of this week and we've got our downloadable pack to help you. And there was some MPs that, you know, wanted to move motion to pause indexation, but I think that hasn't been done because it doesn't impact uh, people's day-to-day spending because the HEX help repayment is based on income, not on the amount of debt. Yeah, it's interesting what wasn't covered. And I think everyone looks at the headlines and they say, well, what, what did we get out of it as an individual or as a, as a family? But um, no talk about unwinding stage three tax cuts. And that wasn't even in the budget papers, mm. which is fascinating because the last few budgets under the last government, they were advertising that, oh, we're cutting tax, we're cutting tax. But yeah. now we're kind of ignoring it and not even putting it in the budget papers because it's already legislated. Yeah. And so- I think there probably could be some shaving done with that, but, you know, bracket creep is real and I think there still needs to be some work there. Um, You know, for me personally, I don't need an extra $9,000 a year in tax savings. Like it gets to the point where what are we doing? Yeah, but generally the tax cuts were benefiting the high income earner generally. That's right. And as I said, like I personally, I'm on the highest bracket I will be saving $9,000 a year in tax. Mm. I do not need an extra $9,000 a year. I'll be fine. Like this is wild. And But you'll take it. Yeah, I'll take yeah. it and my yeah. giving will probably go up. <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. But I'm not hanging off on it. So, uh, And talk to us, John, Labor government, they've been, you know, dancing around the comments of uh, capital gains tax on property, negative gearing, anything yeah. like that in the nah. budget. Yeah, there's, there's nothing mentioned at all. Um, so definitely not in the negative gearing space or, or the capital gains tax. So that's left alone for now. And I think there's a lot of pressure from the property councils. Um, they're lobbying pretty hard on both those topics. So yeah, there's a bit of, um, yeah, they've just kept quiet on that for now, mm-hmm. which is a positive for the investor. Yeah. Now, the biggest thing, if we move to social security, there is a $40 per fortnight increase for JobSeeker, Ausstudy, Newstart, and it's completely across the board. Two things to note there, John, that the Economic Review Committee, they actually wanted more. And I believe the temporary increase under Morrison government during COVID was actually the $50 per fortnight. Uh, but it's important to note, though, it was highly anticipated. And I don't know if it was a, a leak that was Chinese whispered, that there was only going to be an increase for those 55 and over. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of the 55 and over, there is that extra amount coming in. As previously mentioned, it was um, it was from age 60. So there's roughly another 90-odd dollars per fortnight, uh, but you can capture that from age 55, which is, which is a good outcome for, for those in that bracket. Yeah, and particularly we know that the rise in homelessness is huge above women over age 55. And more broadly speaking, it can be harder for people over 55 to obtain work. So that was the rationale there. Yeah, which is a good outcome. Now, the single parenting payment, this was a good one. 
90% of parents are single mums and it will help around 52,000 single mums and what they're doing there uh, in continuing the single parenting payment until the youngest turns 14 rather than age eight. Now, the recommendation of the Economic Review Committee was to age 16, but again, they're doing it less than what was recommended, age 14. And just on the politics of it all, this was one thing, and this is why every time, you know, these budgets come around, it almost doesn't matter what colour you voted for, because Howard changed this. I think Gillard didn't reinstate it. And now another Labor government is moving it to 14. So it's not like when governments get up and say, oh, Liberal did this or Labor did that. It's just also wild and political that the last you know, one of the Labor governments under Gillard didn't care about this measure. Yeah. Like, it's I don't almost, know. I yeah, just think it's, it's fascinating. Tad, isn't it? Yeah. And John, what's happening on the rent assistance? Yeah, look, they've, they've made a, a, some impact, but I wouldn't say a massive impact comparison to the, to the rent increase that we've seen the last few years. So percentage-wise, it sounds a lot, doesn't it? So the rent assistance is increased by 15%, which equates to about $31 per fortnight. So not an absolute game changer by any means, but any assistance does help. Yeah, and I think anyone you know that is on rent assistance, you're already on a social security benefit. And I would imagine your rent has increased more than $15 in the last year. So, Quick, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. I don't know about you, John, but it'll be interesting to see uh, if over the next year or so more states do anything on rent increasing caps. Yeah. Well, Queensland's just brought out some legislation that they want to get passed in that mm. space. So, but again, there, I, I think it's one of the points was we can't increase rents more than once per year, right? Yeah. Which we shouldn't be doing anyway. No, and I'm okay with the percentage as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. But I mean, as a property owner, myself with tenants, if they said, yeah, you can't increase it more than 10% a year or X amount of percent over so many years, I'm probably okay with that. But anyway, we'll see what happens. All right, back to energy. John, what did they do with energy? Right, so... $3 billion energy bill reflected co-funded with states and territories, which is one and a half bill from the federal government, up to $500 off energy bill, up to six fifty for small business owners provided uh, by the retailer, different for some states and territories. So $500 off our energy bill, depending on how big your household is, is, is quite a whack. My last energy bill was like $900. So over the course of, uh, uh, yeah, for the quarter. So over the course of the year, what's that, 125 a quarter? Yeah, I mean, it all, as we said, adds up. And the reason why it's different for some states and territories, uh, so like Western Australia or uh, Northern Territory, I think have lower prices and not as much choice. Like it's completely different market. So yeah, we will see um, money credited to your provider's account. The interesting one with this, instead of, giving people the money for them to just spend on, you know, whatever, groceries or cigarettes or drinks or gambling, insert your vice here, ice cream, salt, vinegar, chips and all that, by actually targeting it to the energy account, energy is a big line item in the CPI figure. So it's almost practically smart because it helps people, 
and politically smart because it directly attacks the CPI figure itself. Now, we don't know how long it's going to go on for. I think there's a bigger problem in Australia. And if I can have a rant on that, like particularly gas, John, in Australia, we've got more gas than the universe. Yeah. And it's linked to the freaking world price. Like I think in Western Australia, they've got a reserve um, percentage, but it's just so wild that we've got all this gas and we have to pay what the world market is paying, not just, oh, I've got heaps of gas, have it for free. He's like, it's just, anyway, it's wild. Uh, there was some low cost loans for solar and double glazed windows if you want to tweak your house. There was a $2 billion hydrogen head start program to export hydrogen. And there was about $40 billion allocated to renewables. And we'll talk on energy a little bit more, but that hydrogen head start program, you know, with trying to export hydrogen, there was one commentator said they'll probably impact about, you know, two billionaires in a very good way. <laughs> but, yeah. um, look, I, I think hydrogen, like I've gone down the rabbit hole on hydrogen cars as opposed to le- electric and it's far better, but it comes to, you know, with day-to-day use, it is that chicken and the egg before infrastructure and technology and whatnot. So yeah. definitely a, a hydrogen thing there. Interesting, the, the whole loan thing, um, g- obtaining a loan for solar um, or, for, or for double glazed, like... I think it just needs to be an affordable option for everyone rather than create a loan system. Like we just put some funding towards it being a cheaper alternative. I don't know. I mean, going out on a limb, I don't know anyone who would probably just go, oh, I'm going to upgrade the the glass in my house. Not Um, unless they're on the M1. Yeah, that's right. Or under a new runway or something like that. But Mm. look, maybe that is something, you know, I've got a friend who's building. I wonder if he can kind of, do something there with um, the solar and the glazed windows as part of the construction, not sure. Mm. No, no, double glazed windows is pretty expensive. Oh, absolutely. Now let's move on to jobs, wages and some super stuff. So I really think this was great, this part. There was a 15% increase or $11.3 billion allocated to increase award wages to aged care workers with the treasurer saying you deserve every cent. And I, would, I was just thinking last night, if you haven't been to an aged care facility or know someone who is a resident there, a loved one, or know someone who is, I guess, closely linked and work, working at an aged care facility, I would encourage you to find out more about what actually goes on at an aged care facility. I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's tough going. Like my grandma was in one for a while and um, it was heartbreaking visiting her, not to mention the fact that she was, you know, had dementia and all that stuff. Like it's just wild. So kudos to the aged care workers listening. Well, essentially is they can't get enough staff, can they? No. It's a staff issue. So, But yeah. also it was an underpaid issue as well. Mm. But the interesting thing there was early childhood educators, they had some money for training and education but no increase to pay and there is chatter that it could take people out of early childhood and people might move over to aged care if the pay is actually better. Yeah, because they are paid well under what they Mm. should be paid. Totally, totally. I really like this one more from a, a few angles but from July 2026, 
employers will be required to pay super at payday rather than quarterly, gaining workers more money through compounding interest and making it harder for businesses to dodge paying super. I mean, the amount of stories that I've heard and people that I know who have not been paid super and the business goes under and they just struggle getting that money. I mean, in my business, I pay super monthly to everyone, more for a cash flow thing. And, you know, I just want a, a real net position as much as possible in the small business. But yeah, I think it'd be cool to pay, pay it each week with payroll. Yeah, good idea, that one. John, talk to us about skilled migrants. Yeah, so big win for them. Skilled migrants will earn 70000 rather than the 53900 to access the temporary skilled migrant income threshold. Mm, and that was announced, you know, a few weeks ago. Again, another thing that was kind of out there already. So, yeah, that's a good outcome. There was also, and I was unclear of it, uh, there was a comment around the national skills agreement that was with the states and territories that will help uh, more women in apprenticeships. Um, so maybe if you Google women in apprenticeships or something, you might get some detail, but interestingly enough, off the back of the nuclear powered submarine deal, there is 127.3 million in funding over the next four years for an additional 4,000 Commonwealth supported places at universities for courses that support the nuclear powered submarine program, including STEM and management disciplines. So all about that STEM, right? It is about the STEM. Radio Health, here is what Jim had to say on health. And tonight, Mr Speaker, I am proud to announce as a centrepiece of this budget, our Labor government will triple the bulk billing incentive. This is the biggest increase to the incentive ever, delivering a $3.5 billion boost that will help GPs provide free consultations to around 11.6 million eligible Australians, including children, pensioners and other concession card holders. All of this will help take pressure off our public hospitals and emergency departments still feeling the strain of a once-in-a-century pandemic. And it will ensure that for millions of people, the quality of your health care is guaranteed not by your credit card, but by your Medicare card. So practically at the moment, most GPs are small businesses, right? And most GPs have moved to private billing only because the rebates for doctors just have not increased and they would be effectively running their business at a loss. And it's just too expensive to provide bulk build services. So, for example, at the moment in the city, if a GP chose to uh, bulk bill a concession card holder, you know, a child or anyone like that, they would receive $6.60 from the government. How wild is that? But it's increasing to $20.65 in regional from $10 to $31. So I think that's that's a really good step in the right direction, but I will caveat that it is at the discretion of the GP clinic whether they want to bulk bill or not. There is no law to say doctors have to bulk bill. Yeah, and it's. I think it's a good outcome. I mean, you'd hope that they would be bulk billing. Makes it affordable for everyone, doesn't it? There was an interesting one, and they leaked this before the budget. At the chemist, instead of getting monthly scripts now, uh, the GP can just write two monthly 
which is, I think, so good. But I think the pharmacists didn't like that because I think there's a processing fee with scripts. So they're effectively getting one processing fee for the two months instead of two over the two months and probably less chance of people going into the pharmacy and buying Buying extra stuff. Extra stuff they don't need. I mean, I honestly, this is just my view and I know it's not worth that much, but I'm on long-term medication. Heaps of people are. It drives me up the wall having to the chemist every month. Like yeah. just give me a six-month supply. It drives me up the wall that there's a month box and packet. Just give me a six-month supply in a big tub. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. It's, but it's I can wild. see why it's it's limited though. Oh, it's, it's a safety thing concerns. and all that. Yeah. Um, and they, t- they talked about eight urgent care clinics uh, popping up. John, do you want to maybe just read the snippet that I've got there on childcare? So the government's $4.7 billion childcare subsidy changes will finally become a reality from July 1. In short, good news for families with children in childcare and a household income below 530000 That's high, isn't it? Mm. For families earning less than 80000 the subsidy for their first child will climb to 90%. Those on more than 80000 subsidy will progressively fall based on their income. Some families could see a lift in their subsidy of up to 20%. These changes were a key election policy for Labor and will come into place more than a year after the Albanese government took office. Yeah, there you go. So childcare, a bit of movement at the station there. We'll take a quick break because we've got to pay the bill so we can keep the podcast in budget. Uh, so we'll be back right after this. We're going to talk about property. We're going to talk about the environment. We're going to talk about small business, some tax, some other stuff, and hopefully answer some of your questions. We'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Okay, we're back. 
Just some housekeeping. If you haven't already on Monday of this week, two episodes ago on your podcast player, I've got the ultimate hex and help debt episode guideline. If you've got help debt, if you've got hex debt and you don't know what to do, please listen to that episode. And also we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, if you want to download our free PDF, it's like over 20 pages detailing everything that you need to know about hex and help debt. And I would encourage you to listen to that if possible, before the end of May, 2023. Um, so that's there as well. And also we do have a webinar next Tuesday night. John is doing that with Rachel Croon. That will be Tuesday the 20th. That'll be Tuesday the 16th. John and Rachel are just talking all about government grants all around Australia, state-based, federal for getting into property for the first time or perhaps the second time. There's a link in the show notes for that. And finally, My Money Journal. We have a heap of journals that we've reprinted, we've tweaked. If you want to get your thoughts out of your head onto paper, there's a link in the show notes for that as well. So we're just reminding you all about the help doc and the help episode, the webinar next Tuesday night and the My Money Journal, all three links in the show notes. Now, property, John. Oh, yeah. What was covered in the budget around property? Yeah, so Rachel and I'll expand on this on Tuesday night, but the Home Guarantee Scheme, uh, which is essentially at the minute purchasing with a 5% deposit, the government will cover the lender's mortgage insurance component. Uh, We've now seen that from July 1 expanded to allow any two people so it can be siblings, can be friends, to purchase an eligible home with only a 5% deposit. So that's um, that's a good outcome. And I think that will uh, bring a lot more opportunities for individuals to, to enter the market, whether that be with their sibling or a friend of some description. Uh, now, also non-first home buyers who have not owned a property for 10 years will also be able to access this scheme So this is basically a measure designed to support older women who may have lost their property in a divorce or a relationship breakdown. It's coming from the housing minister there. Mm. So that's a good win. Uh, One million new homes from 2024, Glenn. So that sounds like a lot of homes, uh, but from what I'm reading, that's aimed at being rolled out until the end of the decade. So that's from 2024. So that's six years. That's under 200,000 homes per year. We're already forecasting that anyway. We've already been building, COVID aside, we've already been building close to that. So that's not a massive game changer. Um, But are they saying they want to do more than that? Well, they're saying 1 million new homes. Mm. So we're already building close to around 180,000 per year anyway. And who's we, the government, the state governments or individuals? out in normal land. Uh, This is national government. Right. So look, I think it's funny this because a lot of the time the housing is a state-based issue, right? Yeah. And it's up to the states to release land and, you know, help build their infrastructure and whatnot. Yeah. And and they've obviously got to be on board with this as well. And yeah, you're right. There's going to be more of a requirement in a New South Wales Vic as opposed to a Tasmania and ACT, for example. But given it's a, a, a red wash at the moment, pretty much Australia with Labor governments on every corner, mm. yes. uh, there could be some good movement at the station. Yeah, I just can't see it changing mm. things too much, that's all. Like if they've said an extra million over and above the forecasted amount, then mm. great. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, Glenn. Yeah. 
And that's it. The the devil is in the detail. Uh, but realistically, there was no other, you know, every other budget for the last 10 years, there's been details of grants and whatnot. There was nothing on the grant front. No, there's a, uh, a 10 billion housing Australia building fund. So what that means is basically rolling out 1,200 affordable homes in each state within five years. So that's a good outcome. Um, I don't know what the terminology of affordable means for, for people in individual states. Um, the issue with this is that the a certain political party has an objection to it or wants it amended before it's rolled out. So there might be some pushback on that. Mm, well, there we go. All right, shall we move along to the environment? Now, I'm just going to read a thing thanks to the ABC because I was running out of time uh, in preparing our stuff before recording. There's some new funding for the environment in this year's budget. There's a $355 million funding boost over four years for Commonwealth National Parks and Marine Reserves. That includes roughly $9 million to improve basic water, sewerage, electricity services for the Mutajulu community the traditional owners of the Ula Kata Juta National Park. Apologies if that's not pronounced correctly. $163 million will go to the Australian Institute of Marine Science, or AIMS, over four years, and $43 million will be provided to AIM each year ongoing, which will help it put on more staff and build up its science and technology capabilities. $121 million will be spent over four years setting up the new Environmental Protection Australia Agency, which aims to strengthen enforcement of federal environmental laws. That's a good one. And there is $51 million in the budget to set up Environment Information Australia, which the government wants to become the new authoritative source of high-quality environmental information. There's also $104 million for a review of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, which the government is legally required to do anyway, and $45 million for the government to work with the basin communities on the plan. So that was an environment snapshot. So yeah, there we have it. I thought it was interesting though, in the uh, the end matter kind of document, I put this thing about big government, more funding will allow the federal public service to reach its highest headcount ever, increasing 15% since the start of the pandemic to 192,000. So I'm just wondering if, you know, these new agencies, um, I guess they will be public service stuff, but um, there you go, big government stuff if you... Uh, believe one party likes big government or not. The government has also provided 14.2 mil for a sustainable finance strategy, which will include the introduction of a sovereign green bond program to raise capital for environmental and climate change programs, developing a sustainable finance taxonomy and addressing greenwashing and related misconduct through dedicated ASIC surveillance and enforcing funding. 4.3 mil in the next financial year. Yeah, I think the surveillance on greenwashing is really important because far out, like it's just a marketer's delight really, isn't it? But we need to make sure that um, there is actually legitimate things happening under the hood. Small business, what have we got, Johnson? All right, so small business owners, as many as 3.8 million of you with a turnover of up to $10 million will able to write off the value of new equipment worth up to $20,000. Uh, that's been in a few times, hasn't it? Like that's not- Yeah, so, well, it's, it's, it's been in. It increased during COVID to 50,000 and I think it's currently till the end of this financial year, 150,000. Is it? Yeah, okay. So if you've got a small business and you need to buy some equipment- Yeah. 
Um, done. You might want to get your skates on because it does go back to $20,000. dollars mm. Small businesses investing in energy efficient equipment and facilities could be eligible for a further tax deduction of up to $20,000. Businesses with a turnover of up to 50 mil, so that's the big guys including you, Glenn, will get a one-off payment of $650 off their power bills and a 20% deduction to electrify cooling and heating systems, install new batteries and heat pumps and replace aging tools. Mm. also be able to deduct the cost of these assets from their tax bills for the first year in which it is installed or used. So that's good. They can claim the tax benefits up front. Now, just as we start to finish up, in the section of tax, so the government did increase some taxes in this, but it's the stuff that most people won't actually whinge about or care about. Um, So John mentioned earlier, and as was released earlier, the government are taxing super balances over $30 million, an extra 15%, so 30% tax. Um, If you love the lung lollies or the cancer (laughs) sticks, tobacco is increasing. The tax on tobacco is increasing 5% a year for the next three years. I looked the other day, um, just out of interest, those bad boys are so expensive. I don't know how people actually can afford to smoke each day. Yeah, it's flipping wild. It's so wild. Now, the other big thing that they're doing is taxing gas profits under the petroleum resource rent tax. Now, this is extremely, extremely complicated. I don't know enough about it. I'm not smart enough to know about it, to nerd out on it all. But from what I understand, gas exploration was excluded and now they're bringing it in. But what they're doing, and I could be butchering this, everyone, so this is like five tons of salt. What they're doing is, so businesses could basically spend money and do exploration and the costs that they used with exploration, they could write off. So what they're doing is just allowing only 90% of the exploration costs to be written off, not the full hundred. But I do know it. the lobby groups or the associations of gas people or whatever it's called, they were happy with this because probably it was a lot harder and tighter in other countries around the world in relation to these type of, you know, rent taxes. And, you know, governments just can't and they don't want to kill the golden goose that laid the golden eggs or whatever the saying is, right? So, look, if you want to, if you do want to nerd out on the tax on the gas people and all that stuff, you can look at the PRRT, Petroleum Resource Rent Tax. Now, in finishing, the government is committed to driving the actions needed to progress women's representation in leadership across public, business and community and political spheres. As part of the 2022 federal election, the government made a commitment to help enable a new generation of women across the country to enter public office. To achieve this, the government is providing $5 million over five years to Women for Election Australia to equip and encourage more women to enter politics. This funding is provided as part of the Women's Leadership Development Program. And just on this, John, with the women apprenticeships, with the women's leadership, with the parenting payments, you know, 90% or more are are single mums, I just think it speaks to that diversity of representation in government. You know, I think half of the ministers in the Labor government are women, so. Changing. Yeah, it's good. Anti-slavery, I thought this was, and these kind of ones were just kind of of particular interest to me. 
anti-slavery and AML. So the AML is the anti-money laundering. New modern slavery commissioner, strengthened AML laws, improving governance oversight of government entities. So that's a big one there. So basically what they're doing, they're delivering on a pre-election promise and the government will provide $8 million over four years and $2 million per year ongoing to establish an anti-slavery commissioner to work across government, industry, and civil society. The anti-slavery commissioner is tasked with driving compliance with the Modern Slavery Act and to improve transparency in supply chains and help fight modern slavery here and abroad. Now, just on that, right now in my inbox, I've got a questionnaire to fill out from a big corporate that we're doing some work for. Does the vendor have any modern slavery practices in place? If so, do they have a modern slavery statement in place, which they can provide to us? You know, where is the vendor based? Do they rely on any foreign workers or seasonal workers? any products that the supplier imported from another country. So I think this stuff is really good. And on the anti-money laundering, the budget also sees the government looking to toughen anti-money laundering obligations with 14.3 million allocated over four years to support policy and legislative reforms. What I want to finish on, John, and we'll end the episode and come back as a bit of an after party and just answer some of the questions in the Facebook informally, So, you know, you can go if you don't want to hang around. You know, we know that there's a referendum uh, for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to parliament. And I just, you know, I'm for the voice and we are going to do an episode with the CEO of the First Nations Foundation just to answer any questions for anyone. But the budget provides 336.6 million over two years for the Australian Electoral Commission to deliver the referendum, including... $10.6 million to produce information pamphlets for the yes and no cases for distribution to all Australians. The government will also extend a previous measure until 30 June 25 to enable the investment of $20 million to progress regional voice arrangements. But it's not an issue or anything other than just a comment. $320 million excluding the pamphlets to be printed. It's a lot of money for a referendum. And I was like thinking, can we... Can we ask everyone a few things and just do it in one go? Like, do we want to be a republic? Do we want to change the flag? I don't know. Do you want to have, you know, Maccas bring back the McFlurry spinning machine? Like, I just think it's a lot of money. And I get they've got to, you know, prosecute and argue and need room in the market to promote the topic. But in a perfect world, it'd be sweet to um, do a referendum that asks three issues and save $600 million. Yeah, think ahead a bit more. 10.6 mil for information pamphlets. Some printing company is going to clean right up. Yeah, I think a lot of them will. Um, But there you go. That's our thoughts. It's our comments. They are worth exactly what you paid for them. And any final comments, John, before I open Facebook and read some questions? No, it's pretty boring. Yeah, no worries. All right. (laughs) Thanks, guys. If you're hanging around for the after party, do so. We'll end the episode and be back after this. Thanks for listening. I'm Glenn James and this is John Pigeon. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Radio. Mitch asks, any mention of blockchain technology in the budget? I didn't see any, Mitch, um, but that's not to say it's in the minor details. I know the last government with Senator Andrew Bragg, he was frothing on all that stuff, but I didn't see any uh, off the top of my head or any of the stuff that I've read. Mika asked, what's your favourite new improvement and where do you think that personally they need to do better? So, John, that's a big question that. What was your favourite part of the budget and where do, does the government need to do better? Well, that's, that's another episode on itself as to where they need to do better. Oh, I just sit here and think every year when there's a budget or there's a change of government and there's marketing around all these things, like they're just – it's too many broken promises and there's and they're basically hybrids of each other when they get into power. I just I don't agree with the whole system that we're running in the country per se. I just think that something needs to change um, and and just I don't know whether it's business owners need to run this joint or it's it's just some someone with logic or whether they come in thinking they're going to change the world but then they get um, encapsulated into this, uh, spell of the government system. I don't know. What do you think? Look, my favourite part, you know, if there is, was that increase to aged care workers because that's such a needed thing and also the uh, incentive for GPs to get paid more for bulk billing because if you know a GP or had anything to do with the GP, um, it's not an easy job and to have a consult and get paid $6, please Give me a break, and oh, I I actually like the single parents having a win with the the kids' age from increasing from eight to fourteen. Mm. That was my favourite. Yeah. Now, what? And to her second part, you know, what do they need to do better? Well, you know, you don't want advice if you're running the government from me, but health, education, infrastructure, housing. Economy. <laughs> No, but I mean, like, nah. are they not the most important things? I don't know. They are. I think the the biggest thing we've seen since since COVID, and, and COVID really brought this to the surface, was the the healthcare system is quite broken, and so is the education system. 
So, yeah, those two sectors, if we can get those two right, there's going to be a lot of happy Australians. Totally. Uh, A question here from Melanie. First home for the first home buyers deposit scheme have the price price have the property price thresholds increased specifically can you now buy a house with more than a sixty thousand worth more than six hundred thousand dollars in Adelaide and have the government guarantor so you only need five percent look none of that has changed has it John not in the budget no no there is yeah prior to the budget obviously the New South Wales stamp duty land tax thing came in but yeah nothing specific budget. Jess Crane, will these handouts will these handouts affect inflation, i.e. lower income people having more money in their pockets to spend? Well, look, they've tried to cut it both ways so they can help those who need it the most without impacting inflation. I don't think it will impact inflation because, you know, I'm not an economist, but there are more people in work and earning good money than people on social security. I mean, that's a really broad brush brushstroke, but based off the speech in the government, they've tried to dance that line with throwing money away, helping people and not influencing inflation. There Again, was some, some, of the, some of these comments, I'm just not an economist. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not either, but there was some commentary this morning around potentially unemployment rate increasing slightly but not out of control. Yeah, but it's still going to be really low anyway. Um, her second question, do first home buyer incentives really help with affordability? Or do they drive property prices up? Yeah, look, I don't know. It's kind of out of the scope of the budget questionnaire. Uh, Ryan asked, interested to hear Dev's thoughts regarding health and Medicare arrangements. I did text Dev um, and asked him to send an audio message through. If he does before this is edited, it will go up before the next question. Hey, Glenn, it's uh, Deb, mate. How are you? Sorry, I'm just driving home. So I won't be able to record, but happy to discuss if you want my thoughts. In terms of the incentive, the bulk billing incentive tripling, I think overall that's a good policy because it allows people from vulnerable backgrounds and lower socioeconomic people to access their primary care and physician. But I'm a little bit sceptical of the government trying to make things harder for people to get those cards. That's number one. And it still doesn't address the primary problem, and that is that the working poor who won't qualify for these cards still have to pay huge gap amounts because of the inflationary pressures and the cost of delivering healthcare rising. But overall, it's a step in the right direction, uh, but hopefully more to come in future budgets. Thank you. Anonymous said, will the budget help those not categorised as low income, quote unquote, as they are still struggling but never get any benefits? Well, welcome to middle Australia, right, John? Like so many families are running it so tight at the moment and it is tight and they don't get any benefits. Well, they might be able to take the kid to the doctor now and get bulk billed instead of having to pay before. They might be able to, I don't know, if it's a single parent uh, receive that money for a bit longer, but yeah, that that it's an interesting point. That isn't it? Like it's there is a lot in that category. The majority of Australia would be in that category. I would I would say, and it, and it's like in a in a classroom, majority of of learners are in that middle gang or middle chain. Uh, 
the teacher spends their time on the high end and the low end for mm. various reasons. The middle often just get dragged along. Yeah, I mean, life is one big bell curve, isn't it? Mm. You heard it here first, people. Uh, Anonymous said, happy to see the changes brought in decreasing the age of single parenting payment is being reversed. I'm from a single parent family and it was very stressful when they were introduced. Uh, I'm just having a look here. Yeah, how will the budget affect the average MMN listener based on the recent census? Thanks, V. Yeah, look, I think we've just talked about like the average MMM listener is earning 100 grand a year, he's in full-time employment, uh, doesn't have consumer debt. Sure, it is tight and it costs a lot of money to rent at the moment, but there isn't exactly a, other than the electricity uh, bill credits, if they are a small business owner or individuals, uh, there isn't that much in terms of stimulus and, um, you know, other stuff like that. Maybe Other that. than if they work in aged care or, yeah. or if they're defense. a GP or defence. Yeah. yeah, 50K kicker or uh, maybe a jump into a property mm. with a sibling or a friend. Yeah, but um, look, we might leave it there. I don't know about you, John, but after we record these episodes, I always like think, oh gosh, I did such a horrendous job because <laughs> there's like so much information. Like trying to like understand this all, set up all the categories yeah, and like, trying to go, all right, this is, you know, what we think. Like it's content, but you probably just send them to the Australian Financial Review and, and look yeah, at Go to the it. ABC, just Google <laughs> ABC winners and losers budget. And yeah. you'll get a, there you go, uh, there's the episode, everyone. But um, yeah, I in prepping for this episode, I actually wrote a heap of notes from the budget last night. I went to the AFR, the Guardian, ABC, um, and watched a heap of commentary, listened to headlines this morning, really got in it as much as possible just so I can bring everyone, um, you know, as much information as possible. But Yeah, you did well. Thanks, John. All right. It's good to get live feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, John. <laughs> well, that's the after party. <laughs> Anything else, John? Nah, nothing for me. Well, see you guys soon. All right, bye. Thanks, friends. See you later.